Okay. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. And we're going to jump into this quickly. Because Jesus is coming tonight, and he's going to do a great work in our midst, and I'm really excited about it. Right, Luke chapter 11. I want to kind of wrap up some notes on prayer here. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If we're going to teach on prayer, we should probably look at what Jesus said about prayer, straight from his mouth, the great God-man. All right, so God, when he was walking on the earth, fully God, fully human, told us this about prayer. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Wait, we're going to pause right there. Uh, I had someone recently ask me, and they're like, Jason, have you ever gotten distracted while you were preaching? Have you ever gotten distracted while you're teaching? And the point was, is that the one thing the devil comes after us the most at is our prayer life. Because that's fellowship. That's communion. Like, I don't know about you guys, but there's times where I'm praying, and all of a sudden I catch myself, I'm like, whoa, what am I doing? I'm totally not praying anymore. Like, 10 minutes ago, I thought I was going to have a prayer time, and right now I'm not praying. I'm completely distracted, right? That never happens when you're preaching and teaching, does it? You're right? But the devil is after us to get our prayer life. And so here, it's interesting that here, uh, the disciples of Jesus ask him, teach us how to pray. You know, they never asked Jesus to teach him how to heal the sick or preach. But the disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. This really is the deal, isn't it? That we would have a communion with God that would be intimate and close. And so he came out the gate here with the, with the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name. Okay, we're going to pick up. And he said to them, verse 5, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me a burrito, for my friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed, are with me in bed. I cannot get up. And give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For whoever asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Woo! Can you imagine, like, I arrived here on Sunday night. Gabriel meets me. And, and shows me to my hospitality 
uh, apartment that I'm going to be staying in. And then, like, I'm like, Gabriel, like, I really need a sandwich, like, really bad. And it's, and, and it's like, late at night, let's just say I, for, I, I arrived at, like, I don't know, 6 at night. But let's say I would have arrived at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. And so Gabriel's like, I don't have a sandwich with you, uh, for you. In fact, but I know, like, Pastor Mike, he's always got his, his fridge stocked with sandwich stuff. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, Gabriel shows up at Pastor Mike's house. And he's like, ding, ding. Pastor Mike comes to the door. He's like, what? He's like, listen, Jason really wants a sandwich. And I don't have anything at my house. Mike's going to get up, and he's going to help him get a sandwich. And he's not really feeling like, okay, Gabriel, you're my friend right now, so I'm going to do it for you. He's not feeling any of those warm, fuzzy emotions at all. All he's feeling is, okay, if you came to me at 3 o'clock in the morning asking for a sandwich, I'm going to help you get a sandwich, and then you can go back and give it to Jason. You know? Like, this is what happens. And, so, and Jesus is saying, because of his impudence, the friend's going to do it. So Jesus is actually like God is telling us when you pray, pray boldly, almost like obnoxiously boldly. Like inconveniently boldly. The book of Hebrews, the writer writes, like approach the throne of grace with boldness. Right? Pray bold prayers. God, this is what I'm asking you for. And, and because of his impudence, he'll be answered, right? And I love how it goes right into this. Ask, seek, and knock. And uh, the other place where this shows up in the Gospels is the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew. And, and Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God on the Sermon of the Mount. And, uh, you know, can you imagine, let's say you're, you're Meghan Markle, and you just got married into the royal family. And I know, like, right now in the last two weeks, they're now out of the royal family. Anyhow, but let's just say, you know, about a year ago, she's getting married into the royal family. I'm sure that Harry had to explain some things to her. Like, okay, this is how things work in the palace. This is how things work with the queen. This is like the protocol with different things. Here Jesus is explaining to us the kingdom of God. And he's like, well, in the kingdom, this is the way it works. If you need something, you ask for it. That's the way it works. And if something, if you're seeking something, like, the way you find it is you just seek it. If something's lost, you seek it, and you will find. In fact, the doors in the kingdom of God have this great little password. You go to the door, and you, you knock. And the door will be open to you. That's the way this kingdom works. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Then he goes a little bit further. He's like, all right, any of you fathers... If your son asks you for a, a piece of bread, will you give him a snake or an egg? Will you give him a, you know, goes into this thing. He says, how much more will your, will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We have a generous father. This is who he is. So ask, seek, and knock. And the way these words are written, they're actually written in like the, I don't know the English word for it. Someone here with the Bible school certainly knows the term I'm looking for. Um, but it's, it's written to be like, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking until your knuckles bleed. And guess what? The door will be open. You'll find. You'll receive. Right? Okay. Turn, to me, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. So ask boldly, you guys. 
You're his children. Ask the Father for more. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Uh, I love how David in Psalms 27.4, it's a request. This one thing I ask. All right, let's ask God that we would behold his beauty. And yes, he will do that for us. He's a God of revelation. He's just waiting for us to ask. Okay, Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow. Start at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Now, most of the parables that we read in in Scripture, um, Jesus tells the parable first, and then the writer of the Gospels will explain the parable a couple paragraphs later. This one, however... Right up front, Luke writes the reason why Jesus told this parable. So that they would keep on praying and not lose heart. Sometimes we lose heart as we're praying and praying and seeking God's face. And here Jesus gives us this parable to to encourage us to not lose heart in the place of prayer. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down in her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice. He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here Jesus, God, the God-man Jesus is, is hey, when you pray... Be persistent. Keep on praying. Knock, seek, ask. Day and night, keep on thumping. Uh, Because you never know. You might be the next Daniel, and it's taken 21 days for that angel to get through. Right? And, but, but God is looking for partners on the earth that will partner with him in the place of prayer to birth his promises and his miracles on the earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is saying, come on, guys. Come on. Don't lose heart in the waiting. I need you to keep praying. 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 Don't lose heart. And will God not grant his elect justice? And will he not grant it speedily? So uh, a couple years ago, This is actually many years ago now. This is 2008. So that's 12 years ago now. I'm I'm pretty, I'm much younger than I am now. And I'm 12 years younger. And I was on a 40-day fast, and it was a pretty strict fast. I was, uh, I'm not boasting in my fast. I just need to paint, paint the picture. I was on water except for like, a smoothie or a bowl of soup, ground up bowl of soup in the, in the blender like every third or fourth day for 40 days. And so come day like 33, 34, I am really, really, really weak. Like as I'm walking up the steps, I'm, I have to stop at the landing halfway to catch my breath as I'm walking into the prayer room, right? And, um, and that weekend, lo and behold, my family had a family get-together with my, my grandpa and grandma hostetter and all of my uncles and aunts and all my cousins at a, at a cabin in the Appalachian Mountains in Pennsylvania. Actually, it's like a trailer, and then there's other trailers that we borrow from others so that our whole extended family can stay there. And so 
we are driving from Washington, D.C. to these, these mountains in, in western Pennsylvania. And the whole way there, my wife and my children, they're all sleeping in their car seats. And, and, uh, and I'm kind of having this muttering match with God a little bit. I'm like, Jesus, like, Aunt Carolyn, Aunt Kathy, my grandma, my mom, they all have amazing cooking. This fast that you called me to is really inconvenient. Like, how, and how am I not going to make mealtimes awkward? Well, I'm fasting, you know. So I'm kind of muttering with the Lord that all of a sudden, like, the Lord just speaks to me. He's like, Jason, you're not expecting to meet with me this weekend, are you? I have something for you. I'm going to speak to you this weekend. And I'm like, all right. You guys, I think I did the whole 40-day fast just for this one revelation. Because it puts something in me that's become an operating system from that day forward, you know, to where I am now. And uh, so I get there. We finally get to this trailer that's my Grandpa Harvey Hostetter. And uh, he's now with the Lord as of like two years ago. And then my Uncle Jerry, Jerry Martin, they are they're inside the trailer. And they're like sipping on some lemonade. And they're like, they're all sweated. It's like August. <sighs> I, they're like panting, you know, and I'm, they're very clearly covering from being outside in the heat. And uh, I walk in, and I walk in feeling very, very weak. What they see is a young, strapping man that can do anything because he is so strong in his early 30s. That's what they see. And uh, so they go on to tell me that, hey, you know, behind Grandpa's trailer here, there's this huge tree that, I mean, goes way up in the air, was struck by lightning. It's now dead. And we want to fell the tree ourselves. We want to chop it down so that we're sure that it falls away from the trailer. Because if that tree of this size falls on the trailer, it's going to just demolish the roof. and It's going to be a problem. And so they went out earlier that afternoon, and they took a chainsaw, and they started buzzing in from the other side. And they didn't do their physics right with the wedge, and suddenly the, the, this huge tree tips over, and the blade of the chainsaw is stuck, and they cannot get it out. So at that point, they're like, well, we have an axe. And so Grandpa Harvey and Uncle Gerald, Jerry, go from the other side. They're chipping away. They get exhausted. They go in for some lemonade, and in walks Jason Hershey. This young, strapping, strong man, right? And they're like, Jason, do you think you could give us a hand and go out there and help us chop this tree down? And at that moment, I'm like, I don't want to pull the I'm fasting card. Like, Jesus, we already talked about this, right? So I'm, think, so I'm thinking I'm just going to slip out the door, go around back of the, the, the uh the trailer and just kind of, I don't know, play with the axe for a little bit and come back in or something. They follow me out the door, around the trailer to this big dead tree. Now I'm stuck. So I pick up the axe. It takes all I can do to get this thing up and show it, you know. I'm very un-Paul Bunyan-like in this moment. And I half throw and half drop the axe, like, <laughs> the first chop of the axe 
Jerry and Garvey, they're like, And I'm like, you know? You guys, I'm telling you, to this day, I, it was not the strength of my axe. I'm telling you, I am for sure that Jesus sent an angel to push that tree over. But as I was walking away, immediately Luke 18 popped in my spirit. You never know. The next prayer meeting, the next whack of the axe, could be the breakthrough. Never stop one whack too short. He is the God of the breakthrough. Day and night, keep the persistence. You know what? Something happened in my soul that weekend where I came home. I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm never going to stop one whack too early. You might, you might not know when the next whack is the one that's going to put it over. I still think it was Jesus that helped me. It's kind of like I was just imagining like the secret service of heaven, the angels be like, all right, Hershey's going to need some serious help right now. Can you please send someone now? He's really in over his head. You know, and that's kind of what happened. So, um, but here Jesus ends this parable with this incredible question. He, re- he asks, however, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, I was with a, a man named Winky Prattney one weekend. This guy, Winky is, an, uh, you probably don't know Winky. He's a revivalist for sure. The power of the gospel's on his lips. And, and I was a young man. I was supposed to be preaching the first three days, and he was doing the last three days of this week of, of things with this youth group. And I was so intimidated. But he gets there, and I'm like, okay, I'm opening for Winky Prattney. And... Uh, and so I, he gets there, and he and I are just having a conversation. We're talking about just idols, and, and he's like, hey, listen. He's like, you can't judge people's hearts. However, um, it says in Scripture that out of the heart the mouth speaks. He's like, you give me 20 minutes with anybody, and I can tell them what, I can probably tell you what their idol is. Because out of the heart the mouth speaks. And then he got this twinkle in his eye, and he winked. And he said, and by the way, revival can be an idol. He totally called me out. (laughs) 20 minutes with anybody, and I can tell you what their idol is. Here, Jesus, he's, you know, because oftentimes, it's like we as human beings, we go to the Lord, we're like, God, how long, how long, oh God, until you answer my prayer? And Jesus, at the end of this parable, it's like he sends a winky pratney wink back, and he's like, but will I find faith when I come back on the earth? Will you, will you still be faithful? Like sometimes the question is prayers if, in prayer is if God's faithful. And he suddenly turns the table he's like, and he's like, will you be faithful? So we're going to talk a little bit about faith tonight. Sound good? We're going to get freedom tonight. Okay? Everybody say freedom. freedom. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about faith because obviously faith is what makes, the, makes prayer go round, doesn't it? Um, scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, but if anyone who wants to please God must believe that he exists and that he earnestly rewards those who seek him. Praise God. You, you guys, you've been seeking the Lord this week hardcore, probably harder than you ever have your whole life. You probably spend more time in prayer and worship than the average bear, right? Well, guess what? You must believe that he is going to reward you for earnestly seeking his face. He is, right? He's a generous father. He rewards those that seek him. So 
Um, a little bit, okay, so before we go into talking about faith, I want to talk to you a little bit about the simple gospel. Because we're going to employ the gospel this, after, this evening, okay? And so, um, okay, so Vince Lombardi, you guys know him from football. You probably heard his name before, right? Um, the, what made him so famous is he took, as a young coach, he took over the Green Bay Packers. And, when the, and he took over a losing, losing losing football team. They were, they were an NFL team. They were a professional team, but they stank. They had an awful record. They were even worse than the Patriots. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. All right, easy, easy, easy. All right, easy, easy, okay? So the point is Green Bay Packers were really bad. Vince Lombardi comes on as the, the coach, the head coach, and he's famous for these words. His very first meeting with these, with these NFL players as a new coach, very first meeting, he walks in to the, to the room with all of his players, and he holds up a football, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> and from there... He explained to these professional football players the game of football. This is the boundaries. These are the goals. And basically, he was introducing his coaching philosophy. We will be awesome at the basics. We will practice passing. We will practice running. We will practice tackling. But we will be awesome at the basics. And in a couple of years, those same Awful Green Bean Packers won the Super Bowl. Not because they practiced trick plays like the Philly Philly, but they, tra they practiced the basics, right? So the basics of the gospel is this, just to remind us, is we are all sinners, all of us. And while we were yet sinners, grace before the you favor before obedience, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the way we receive this gift of salvation is, 1 John says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. Right? So in that confession, he is, he's, you, you are made justified and also so you're forgiven, and then he begins to purify you from all unrighteousness. That's how freedom works. So if you're stuck in a bondage of sin, confess it, confess it, confess it, confess it. And through that confession, bringing it before the Lord, he forgives you. And then he works in you freedom and purifies you from that, right? So a couple months ago, I had a guy um, come to my, my prayer room on the YWAM base and he met with me, and I've known him for a couple of years, and he kind of comes in, and he's kind of heavy. He sits down, he's kind of mumbling. And then he begins to tell me about, like, you know, you know, earlier in my life, you know, I really struggled with, you know, pornography. And then recently, you know, my wife and I have not been getting along very well. And then, and he's kind of, like, really heavy, 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 heavy. And finally, I, I just stopped him and said, are you trying to tell me that, like, you've had a real, real issue with pornography in your life? And he's like, yeah. I said, that's it? man, I thought we were going to have, like, a real confessional this afternoon. Like, really, that's it, right? And he's like, oh, 
What do you mean? I said, so then I asked him a question. I said, how many women do you think you've lusted over in your lifetime? Like 10, 100, 1,000, a couple thousand? Like how many images of different women over the years? And he goes, man, man I, I, I don't know. I said, venture a guess. He would, never, he would never put a guess on it. And I said, okay. I said, here's the deal. Do you know that Jesus has forgiven you of every last one of them? He's like, oh, man, that's good. Man, that's good. Man, man, that's good. Man, Jason, that's good. Oh, man. And something just lifted off of him, right? Here's the thing, you guys. Okay, when I talk, when I talk like this, people begin to think that I don't think sin's a big deal. Sin is a really big deal. But the blood of Jesus is so extravagantly even a greater deal that it's like, all right. You know, it's like, hey, everybody, let's take 30 minutes of our life, write down everything that we've ever done, anything we're embarrassed at, anything we've ever been shamed at, and let's just take it all to the cross, right? Let's just take it all to the cross, give it all to Jesus, get it out of our lives, and then go down the street and find the next guy and tell him about the freedom of Christ and get on with this business of bringing the kingdom of God, right? Like, this is the good news. This is the gospel, right? And so we, we can break free of all this shame simply by having a half an hour at the cross with probably one of our buddies so that we can confess it to somebody. And then our buddy can say, wow, that was it? Really? Man, I thought you were going to say you killed somebody or something, and I'd have to take you to the police office. or something. Like, that's all there is to it? Well, that's all a really big deal, but Jesus' blood is a much, much bigger deal. So let's just give it all to Jesus, and we're just going to pray together right now. We're going to receive his forgiveness, and then let's get out there and find other people and set them free too by the power of the gospel. Right? This is the good news unto salvation, isn't it, you guys? It's awesome. So... Unfortunately, oftentimes it's like, okay, so can you imagine, like, suddenly it's like, Pastor Mike's like, okay, we're going to have a support group for all those struggling with pornography on campus. So all the guys, well, okay, most of the guys here, they're hoping to be married someday. Who's actually going to want to go to that support group? Right? But the reality is we all want to go to the cross, Right? And so we're justified by the blood of Jesus, right? So, like, okay, so maybe I, I get home really late on, on Saturday morning because I'm, you know, at the end of this week, I'm driving through the night to go back to D.C. And so I'm really tired and bleary-eyed the next morning, and then I snap at my wife. And my wife's like, wow, you know, I didn't know I deserved that. Okay, I could come back with, you know, I'm really tired and, you know, Please understand, like I was driving through the night last night. I really didn't mean it. That would be trying to justify myself, right? No. Call sin what it is. Call sin, sin, and then employ the weapon of repentance, take it to the cross, and then be free, right? And the more we get into a, a culture of repentance, the more freedom we're going to walk in each and every day, right? So we never have to justify ourselves. We never have to justify our actions. We never have to make excuses for what we've done in the past, even whether it was five minutes ago or 10 years ago. All we have to do is confess it and bring it to the cross. It's like, well, you probably ought to have like 10 years of, you know, counseling. No, take it to the cross. 
This is the gospel of, of salvation, right? Okay, so I want to teach you guys a little bit. This is a football, and I know you guys probably know all this already. But if your buddy comes to you tonight and says, listen, I've really, like, okay, let's, let's switch it to women for a little bit. So, you know, let's say one of the ladies goes to another one of the ladies tonight in the, in the girls' dorm, dormitories, and she's like, listen, I must confess, I have a real stronghold with comparison. I've compared myself with other girls my whole life. I know it's wrong. I know I don't, I'm not believing what God says about who I am. I, and I've probably compared myself to probably over 150 girls in my lifetimes. Every time, most times I come out a loser, but every now and again I come out ahead. And I know that's wrong. I know it's pride. And I know it's, it's, it's like accusing God of not making a beautiful vessel in me. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I have to confess it to you. So you're... Jane, listening to Sally kind of bring this thing to you, what are you going to do, right? So I want to help you help each other set each, set each other free, right, as things come up. So this is, so I'm going to give you four R's. This is just the simple gospel, right? So write these four R's down. First one is repent. And it doesn't have to be heavy, right? I believe repentance is joyful because when we do, it it brings us back into a deeper fellowship with God. So repentance doesn't have to be heavy. Hey, this is awesome. Holy Spirit, convict me some more. Please let me confess more because I want this stuff out of my life. I want to be forgiven and then I want to be purified from all unrighteousness because that brings me into greater freedom, greater fellowship with the most loving being in the universe and I am going to be start walking in the cool of the day like Adam and Eve did in the garden because the gospel is working in my life, right? So repentance doesn't have to be heavy. So we're going to have some joyful repentance tonight. It's going to be amazing. All right, so the first one is repent. Hey, can I get, anybody here play drums? Can I just get a drummer up there? Just get behind me. I just need a drummer for a minute, all right? All right, just, just get up there, just be poised and ready, and then I'll, I'll let you know what to do, okay? All right, so the first one is repent. The second one is receive. Okay? When you repent of something, the next step is I receive your forgiveness. Sometimes we have a really hard time at receiving the forgiveness of God. Receiving the love. And so we'll repent over here, but then we're walking around groveling for the next couple of days because we somehow feel like we have to do penance for it, and we're having a hard time really receiving that, oh, no, Jesus actually forgave, even forgave me of that. You know? So repent, receive. The third thing is rebuke. So this is a spiritual warfare position now, and you want to rebuke the devil because he is the tempter. He, has, he had a part to play in this. And so spirit of comparison and body image, and pride, I command you to get out of my life in Jesus' name. Like, it's, it's, you know, and you can't do this thing kind of wimpy. You need, you need to get, like, if you're a lady, you got to get your sass on. If you're the guy, you got to get your Rambo on. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to do your thing. So, okay, and then the fourth one, okay, repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Last one's replace, right? You want to replace it with the truth. I declare that I'm fearfully, I'm just using that, that Jane and Sally analogy with comparison. I declare that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I declare that 
God is my potter. I'm his clay. And I will never again the rest of my days ever question my beauty. I'm beautiful. I'm amazing. Not because I'm saying it, but because God has said it over me. God is my father and he loves me. He's chosen me. I am his and I'm forgiven. And just declare the truth over your life, okay? So here, we, so repent, receive, rebuke, replace, repent. Okay, so I need a one, two, three, four, one, two. Okay, everybody stand up. Repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Together, repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Repent, receive, rebuke. Just keep going. Repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Repent, keep going. Repent, receive, rebuke, replace. Repent, receive, rebuke. All right, you guys got it. Thank you, bro. All right. This is the gospel, right? So I really, I really, really, really want to encourage you, you Elam students to develop a culture of joyful repentance. So off of that analogy, like, Tomorrow morning, if one of you ladies wake up and you're looking at the mirror and suddenly you hear that, I'm ugly. Go to your sister and be like, hey, listen, here's the thing. I just heard the lie again, I'm ugly. I just want to confess it. Can you help me? Lead me through the four R's. And so your sister's like, okay, just repeat after me. Just again, just like a salvation repeat after me prayer. Okay, Jesus, I repent for ever thinking I'm ugly. Thank you, Jesus. I repent for the, for, for the idol of body image. I repent for that. Thank you, Jesus. I receive, I receive your forgiveness. And you just lead them through unto, unto freedom, right? And so suddenly you guys are, you know, guys are praying a lot. You're seeing God's face. Who knows? There could be like 50 people show up at the door tomorrow wanting to give their life to Jesus because God sent them here. What are you going to do? Repent, receive, rebuke, replace, repent, receive, rebuke, replace, repent, receive. You just, okay. All right, so your whole life, you've, had, you've been on the throne of your life, but now you want to give your life to Jesus, right? So we're gonna, I'm going to lead you through. Just repeat after me. Okay, I repent for having myself on the throne of my life. You know, and just lead them through a sinner's prayer using the four R's. You guys are on it. Okay, you guys got it. The next R. So Jesus, I receive your forgiveness for all of my sins. I thank you that I'm a child of God, and I receive your for the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross. And uh, spirit of selfishness, get away from my life. Pride, get away from my life. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord. And I declare from this day forward, I'm a child of God, and I am saved. By grace through faith, I am saved. I receive your grace and I declare that I am saved, saved, saved by the blood of the Lamb for all of eternity. And boom, you just let them into, into, and guess what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. It might sound, it's too easy, Jason. Really, just four R's and they're in? Yes! 
Because in that moment, the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is exercised, and that person walks away free and now in a relationship with Jesus for the first time in their life. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? It really is. So whether you're leading your buddy through in the dorm or whether it's somebody, a brand new salvation, repent, receive, rebuke, replace. And it just exercises the power of the gospel in somebody's life. That's how we dismantle strongholds in our life. Okay? So, man, I wish I could spend another week with you guys. I feel like there's an army here ready to, like, take down the world. So, so good. Okay. With the power of the gospel. Okay, so we're going to get, okay, so that was a little diversion back to faith, all right? So we find freedom in calling sin what it is. Sin is sin, and we find freedom in that because then we can repent, rebuke, you know, repent, receive, rebuke, replace. By the power of the cross and the power of the gospel, then we can actually be set free from it. It's really, really hard when people are justifying, making excuses. No, 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 no. They don't really want to call it sin because that sounds pretty bad. Well, then there's no actual ever freedom for that. Because if you don't actually call sin, sin, then you can't take it to the cross. I keep thinking like there should be a big cross here. But you can't take it to the cross like because you haven't called it sin. And if you can't take it to the cross, Jesus' the power of the gospel unto salvation can't be released and that person then is going round and round and round and round and round in their sin cycles in their life forever because they never would call sin, sin. And oftentimes the reason why they won't call it sin is because of shame. And so this is why we need to get out there and be like, listen. <laughs> like, just do a death blow to shame. Just half an hour, everybody, to the cross. Let's confess everything that we know to our buddies. Our whole lives, let's get our own lives set free of shame, and then let's get out there and set other people free of shame too. Amen? Okay. Whew, I wish I could do a whole piece on shame, but I think I'm going to stay to what Jesus, I felt Jesus speak tonight, which is faith. Okay, Hebrews 11:6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's Hebrews 11:6. Faith is saying, yes, faith is saying to God, I trust you. I implicitly trust you. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is not being moved by circumstances, feelings, or opinions. Faith believes God and God alone. Faith gets out of the boat and does not sink because faith does not look at the wind and the waves and the tempest. Faith is looking straight in the eyes of Jesus. Jesus, I trust you at your word. It's absolutely true. A friend of mine, Andy Bird, uh, he said this one time. I loved it. He's like, he's like, honestly, you guys, he's speaking to a bunch of conference goers that, like, often they're always hungry for another prophetic word. He's like, he's like, honestly, you guys, I don't think anybody in this room needs another prophetic word. You probably just need to believe what's already written in your journals and actually believe it and actually act on it. God has spoken to you, right? And so faith is taking God at his word. Biblical faith is stepping out of safety. It steps out of lethargy. It steps out of indifference. It steps out of fear. It's, it steps out of security. And faith is often spelled R-I-S-K, risk. But faith is we're stepping out of all that stuff on the word of the Lord. We believe it. We're going to go for it. And we're going we're to put our lives into that place. 
Unbelief seems harmless enough to most Christians. It's just an innocent flaw, isn't it? We consider it more a matter of practicality, caution, or prudence. In fact, unbelief fearfully and at times stubbornly doubts the word, the work, and the character of God. And it expresses those doubts in both word and actions. It asserts that we have a better gauge on reality than God does. It gives preeminence to our own assumptions, presuppositions, and fears. Ultimately, Charles Finney said this, unbelief accuses God of being a liar. How unromantic. That's not good for the bridegroom's relationship, right? But that's what unbelief does, okay? Consider some of the characteristics of unbelief. It makes up its own mind about what God can and can't do what he will or won't do, and how he does or doesn't operate. Faith finds its own methods for accomplishing God's business, both personally and corporately. Faith looks inward instead of upward. As Jim Simbala writes in Fresh Faith, unbelief talks to itself instead of talking to God. Oh, man. Why talk to yourself when you can talk to God, right? Even though it may be deeply hidden, unbelief never goes unseen or unnoticed. The scriptures make it clear that faith moves the heart of God. Faith believes God and acts accordingly. Faith renders nothing impossible with God and has the potential to move mountains. Jesus said without it, we are reminded in Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to please God. Unbelief fears God doesn't, God can't, God won't. Faith believes God does, God can, God will. Right? Okay, so you guys, it's a very sobering account of Numbers chapter 13 when the 12 spies go into Canaan to to look, to spy out the land. Very sobering account. Joshua and Caleb come back with a good report. They had eyes of faith. They knew what God could do. They were seeing through eyes of faith. They were seeing the future in prosperity. They were seeing it. God's going to do this. God's going to do this. The other ten spies, they saw the same thing, but they perceived differently. All they saw was the giants in the land, and they came back complaining. And because they did, 40 years in the desert, God would not take a community of unbelieving people into the promised land. That whole generation died in the desert because of their unbelief. And only Joshua and Caleb got to go into the promised land. Unbelief's a big deal, isn't it? It's a huge deal. So here's the thing. Sin is a big deal. But the cross is bigger. It's a way bigger deal. And I believe that tonight God wants to give us victory over unbelief. Amen? So this is, this is my own story. I'm going to share this with you is... Um, I had a dream one night where there was a group of us sitting around in a chair, in a circle of chairs, and everybody in the dream, we were, we were sharing testimonies. And this guy, man, I prayed for somebody. They were healed the other night. You know, deliverance. Like, they were all sharing these great testimonies of, of things that God did, and they saw God do. And then the last person that was sitting right beside me, he said, he's like, you guys, it's crazy. Last weekend, I died. I was dead. Three days later, I I just came back to life. 
never going in the dream was like, whoa. And I'm like, no way. I don't believe that one. <laughs> I don't believe that one. I woke up from the dream, and, I, and suddenly it was like the Holy Spirit was convicting me and saying, Jason, if you believe in your heart that I rose from the dead, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And he was putting his finger on this issue of unbelief in my heart. Meanwhile, around this same time, I had a spiritual father that he came to me and he said, Jason, I, uh, I can see what God's going to do with David's tent. It's going to be a significant national thing one day. It's not yet. But he's, he was like, I can see it prophetically in the future. And he said, Jason, um, you know, there's there's church leaders all over the, the world that are falling, falling, falling all the time. It's really embarrassing, isn't it, you guys? And he came to me, he's like, Jason, you have a good marriage, you have a great family, but if, you're, if you want me to run with you in this like tent out on the mall and you're gonna be leading this thing, I need to know that you've gone to the core. There's this couple, Leroy and Jean Dillon, that um, they'll come in, um, if, if you're willing, and I'm asking them to really sift your heart, really sift your heart. So before they came in town, they, they had to fill out, like, all this paperwork. It was, like, I don't know, 12 hours of videos plus work. Of, like, my relationship with every boss that I used to have at work and my relationship with the coaches in high school and, like, my teachers and my relationship with my parents and, like, back four generations of things that happened in my family as far as generational strongholds. And we laid it all out, you know, did personality tests, all this stuff. And then they came in to basically sift us and to heal us up from things and set us free and to ask the hard, hard questions. And, uh, and my wife and I, we uh, willingly opened our hearts to this at great risk. And we said, okay, we're going to be as transparent as we know. They asked the really hard questions, and we went really, really deep. The very last day, they were praying for us. And suddenly, they were asking me questions. And I was just listening to the Lord, and I would respond to their questions. And, they, and suddenly, I, I went into a vision, and I found myself, um, wait, they, they asked, um, we came up, uh, what happened was in the time of prayer, we came up to a blockage where suddenly, like, my heart was no longer responding. And they were taking me deep, you know? And, and so they finally, they, they said, okay, does this bondage have a name? As soon as they asked this, out of my mouth came unbelief, almost un, you know, like involuntarily. And they said, all right, unbelief, now we know who we're dealing with. They said, how old are you? How long have you been around in Jason's life? And when they asked that question, suddenly I went into a vision, and I saw myself with the ten spies sitting around the fire in the, hills, in the hill country, just outside the, the promised land. And I was sitting there with the 10 spies and we were all moaning and complaining about this awfulness of the giants in the land. And I was a part of it. And as soon as I saw this vision, out of my mouth came, we're as old as the hills. If you read scripture, these, 10, these 12 spies were like in the hill country. And, um, and so they said, okay. Here's the scary thing, you guys. It's not scary. It's just the gospel. Is That voice didn't necessarily sound like it was mine. And they prayed for me. I repented of unbelief. Four would me out. And I got freedom. 
I got freedom from unbelief. And from that day forward, I find it easier to believe than not. Because God is who he says he is. And we were made in the garden to walk by faith. When we're walking by faith, we're actually walking in the joy and the peace of God. We were created to be walking by faith. Our original design, like the, our vehicle wasn't meant to, be, to run on like diesel unbelief fuel. Our vehicle was made to run on faith gasoline. And when we repent of unbelief into faith, guess what? Boom. Things come on in living color in our lives because this is God, how God intended us for it. So um, some of the ways that unbelief really manifests, um, oftentimes it's worry, fear, anxiety, not believing the truth about who you are, not believing the truth of who God is. And so it's like, why would you ever be anxious when you know that you have a father that cares for you, right? But then that, that unbelief thing comes in, do not worry, do not fear, do not be anxious. So, um, so I just want to, um, we want to take unbelief to the cross tonight. Can we do that? All right? And so it's a sobering account with, with unbelief, but, um, but here's, here's what we're going to do. So if you believe that, okay, and here's the thing, you guys, I'm not going to say that I don't struggle with unbelief at all anymore. I'm not going to say that. Because the devil is, is a tempter, and he keeps coming back, right? And the one thing the devil's coming after more than anything else is our prayer lives. And our prayer lives operate purely on faith. You're talking to someone who, who's invisible, believing that he hears you. And, you know, like, it, and then you hear something from the Lord, and there's always a sense of exercising faith in hearing the voice of God. Am I right? And so, um, so... I'm kind of like on a lifelong battle with unbelief. And if I'm honest, the unbelief, I believe, is one of the greatest sins of the church in the West. And we, that's no big deal. I'm like, no, the reason why you're in anxiety is because you've got a stronghold of unbelief. Let's take it to the cross, repent, and then Jesus is going to set us free, right? And so, um, like, all of, like, we were meant to live a supernatural life. We were meant to see God moving constantly. We are meant to be with the miracle maker, and we want to we get that breakthrough tonight. So can we get the breakthrough? Okay.